We've been going through the Beloved series, and I'm excited because this morning, again, can we change out this stool, brother, since it's wobbly? Uh, we've been going through the Beloved series. I'm, I'm excited this morning because, like last week, in just a few minutes, I'm going to invite a friend up, uh, Brian. He's going to share uh, a pretty major part of his story where God's love um, in his life is working in a very deep way. And um, uh, like Monica shared last week, if you haven't listened to that message last week, please do, because uh, Monica, yeah, it was just super powerful. I'm getting just a lot of great feedback in that. God's just moving. Um, and I think God's, what he's doing is cluing us in as uh, we are going through this beloved series on the importance of the Father's love, and that is massive to us understanding our beloved identity. And so I, I just feel like we're just getting on track with what he's up to. He's changed some things and wants some more of these stories being shared. And so I'm like, okay, Jesus, let's do that. So Brian's going to share in a moment. I just want to briefly set him up. And I want to remind us again about the Beloved series. <clears throat> There's this key identity, identity statement that God the Father spoke over his son Jesus in Matthew 3.17. And I hope we have this memorized by now because I feel like I'm saying it every week. And I'm going to keep saying it every week. Because it was massive for Jesus' life, it must be massive for our life as those who follow him and have him living in us. The father says this over his son before he really kicks off his ministry. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus lived all of his life out of this identity as a beloved. And that's why you see Jesus continually, like I said last week, he's withdrawing and going to the father and listening to the father and saying, taking breaks sometimes from all the demands of life, and saying, I got to get with the Father because he's going to show me stuff, he's going to tell me stuff, and he's going to keep rooting me in my belovedness. I'm very much dearly loved. That was it for Jesus. That's what grounded him. That's what allowed him to say no to things and yes to other things. He said no to a lot of things because he knew what the Father wanted him to do because the Father showed him and told him. He had this intimate relationship with the Father. And the question for us throughout the series is, do we know how to walk in that kind of presence with God where we're being filled up with his love? Is our doing for Jesus, our doing for Jesus, it must flow out of our being with Jesus. And being with Jesus, Jesus is always going to want to take us to a father that loves us. And one of the ways we can be hindered from the Father's love is shame, which is another way of saying hiding. Anytime my kids get really hurt by one of the other siblings or they mess up really, really bad, their tendency, knee-jerk tendency is to hide. Right? We like to hide. We do the same thing. And for many of us, we didn't learn a healthy way to deal with shame in our homes with our parents. We didn't grow up in a home where you can be open and honest with the closest, most vulnerable relationships given to you by God. And for many of us, it, it might have actually been a scary place, an uncomfortable, like super uncomfortable to be vulnerable and expose yourself to your parents or family, where you're really at with God, where you're really at with whatever in your life. It can be a the home for a lot of us growing up was the place you don't really do that. And that is very, very important that we know that about ourselves. Like we talked about last week with Monica's story, it becomes very difficult to let our beloved identity sink deep within us 
if we're walking around with unhealed parent wounds. And not even just unhealed parent wounds, I would say you're not even aware of parent wounds. It's very hard for the beloved identity to sink deep. And we learn these patterns of hiding that many of us still do today, and we don't realize it, and, and, and it's something that's been handed to us actually from our very first parents, our first parents for all of us, all of humanity. And I want to read this passage in Genesis 3, 7 through 8. I'll actually start with verse 6 for context. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, and this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for context. This is the one tree God said, don't eat of it. You can eat of any tree you want in this land of paradise. Don't eat of this one. But she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, covering themselves. They're hiding. This is a shame. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the cool of the day. They used to enjoy that sound. They enjoyed walking with God in the cool of the day. All of a sudden, it's terrifying hearing God walk. In the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves. They're ashamed from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And just a couple points here. It was good that Adam and Eve felt shame. I want to say that from the get-go. Brokenness and sin, we should feel shame. Sin and brokenness, it fractures our relationship with God. That shouldn't feel good. But it's what they did with the shame that was very detrimental. They hid and blamed. The amazingness of God's grace and love to pursue us after this story throughout the whole scriptures is amazing. He didn't just wipe them out as a lot of us know in the story. He pursues and then he ultimately pursues by what? He he gives his only son. In the garden, you see this really cool picture of like, they got these fig leaves. They think they can hide from God. And it's like a kind of a joke because God was like, where are you? But he knew where they were and they think they could hide from him and their shame and, and all that kind of stuff. But God knew where they were and he, he gave them a better covering. He, he gave them animal skin. It was like, you guys, aren't, you guys are even bad at this hiding thing. Let me go ahead and give you something better. And so it's like, oh man, it's, it's, wow, I can't believe he not only didn't zap them, but he actually covers them. Whoa, pretty amazing. Well, that was to give us a foretaste of what the ultimate covering was going to be, and that's the giving of God's own very Son. And the way he covers sinful, broken, hurting humanity, either things we do wrong against God or things that people do against us that are wrong in God's eyes, the way we recover, the way we heal, the way we're forgiven is that God gave his own Son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and to the healing of our wounds. Because the scary thing about coming out of hiding is, are you going to be accepted and loved? Who wants to come out in hiding if there's going to be condemnation? Try to get as much cover as possible so you don't get condemned as much as possible, right? Like, but what the cross does, it covers the sins of the world. It covers your sin. It covers my sin. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross is for the forgiveness of our sins. So that when we look at our sin and our brokenness, we can actually come out of hiding and be exposed and vulnerable with our brokenness because we're actually covered with the righteousness and blood of Jesus. And that's what God offers us, to come out of hiding 
and to be covered by his grace and love through his son's death at the cross. And that's what he invites us into to enjoy because God wants to create a family where we don't hide, but we are exposed so that we see the power of God's grace and forgiveness, and that forms us into a loving family. And that communicates a love to the world that is filled with hiding and filled with shame. But we as the church, we can only give what we have received ourselves. And a lot of us in the church are fakers, and we're better at it than the world. We use a lot of Christian niceties. And a lot of us, maybe even our stories, we grew up in nice Christian homes, but we still didn't feel the freedom to expose our deep, dark secrets and our brokenness. Why? Because we actually don't feel the covering and love of God because of how we can treat each other and talk to each other or create these rules or these way of saying things that kind of creates these unhealthy boundaries where we can't really walk in the power and grace of God and his forgiveness. And we are weak as a church in that. I'm saying big C church, but, but us, it's an area of growth for all. I mean, it's a big deal. So anyways, I'm excited for the story that you're going to hear because there's really two ways that we can respond to shame. We either let shame keep us in hiding, or by the grace of God, the shame we feel, we run to the Father and receive his unconditional love and forgiveness that has never been taken away through Christ. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God. And there, my friend Brian, who I'd like to invite up right now, has a powerful story of walking that out. And I believe God wants us to, again, engage with this truth in a, 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 a story that provokes our heart to relate, to identify with our own story and our own life. So I'm going to pray for us before we get started. Um, because it's a spiritual work to bring transformation in the heart. It doesn't matter how eloquent, eloquent, eloquent it can be my issue, so I'm not worried about it. But how, how eloquent a story is shared, or how much we pound the table on some Bible verses, it's, it's the Spirit of God uh, applying this truth to your heart and bringing about change. And I believe he wants to, guys. So I'm just going to pray we press in and listen to our brother and um, pray for my brother. Thank you for being up here, bro. Um, Father, we bless your name. On high, you are on high, Jesus. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's no glory more weightier. There's no presence more important than yours right now in this room. Let our hearts be fixed on you right now. Allow our hearts to be opened up right now to receive all that you would have in the work that you've been doing in and through Brian. Would you give Brian peace and rest knowing you see him, you are with him, you are standing beside him, and that you've called him to this. And would you open us up to receive. Lord, lead us to repentance this morning. Lead us to freedom. Lead us to deeper healing. We pray for your namesake, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Randy. Yep. Uh, as Randy was praying and talking this morning, I was reminded of uh, the story in Isaiah, of Isaiah's calling to uh, speak the word to the people of Israel. Uh, and when Isaiah was sitting there in the presence of God, he realized that he was unclean. And he said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and dwell among a people of unclean lips. And then an angel came and took one of the tongs from the altar of sacrifice, touched his lips, and said, This has touched your lips, and your guilt is atoned for, and your sin is atoned for, and your guilt is taken away. And after that is when Isaiah, when God asked, Who shall I send? 
Isaiah jumped up and said, here I am, God, send me. And I just wanted to use that story as kind of an introduction uh, because my story is full of hurts and pains of my own. Uh, and I have often felt that I am a man of unclean lips and don't have the ability to speak what God has put in my heart to share. Um, but I believe that God has rescued me and saved me so that I can share this story with all of us today. So, again, my name is Brian. If we haven't met before, I've been part of SOMA for about seven years now. A few weeks ago, I felt compelled to share my story here at the gathering after a week of sharing it with like-minded people and after Randy preached on the uh, love of God for the world. Um, I've often shared my story in front of groups of strangers, but this is my first time sharing in front of really my family, my whole extended family. And so I'm going to start sharing my story uh, at my childhood. And I didn't really have a terrible childhood. I was surrounded by friends, family, church, and great, a great deal of activities. Even so, there are a few key formative moments and relationships which affected me and have given me a different perspective on the love of God. One of those most formative relationships was with my dad. This was a hard one for me to talk about for a few different reasons. I never remembered talking with my dad about anything emotional. In our family, he was a really good provider, but he was emotionally absent for a number of different reasons. I can't really remember any conversations with my dad that went past the surface level. An interesting place for me was, uh, and, and our whole family was at the dinner table, we would always sit down as a family and eat dinner together every night of the week when my dad would come home from work. And usually this is a sign of a normal, healthy family. But we would sit down for dinner and we would eat together in near silence. My dad especially didn't or wouldn't connect with us very often, even at the dinner table. My mom was great and she might try and ask a question about how our day went, but the culture was such that we would sit down, pray, and then eat without conversation. Instead of talking about our day or taking an assessment of our feelings, we would just sit there in our own thoughts. In general, too, our family culture was pretty independent thinking. During the week, we would mainly hang out in our separate rooms, doing whatever or talking with whomever we deemed our friends. We were involved in church, school activities and other things to fill our time, but we never spent time intentionally building a sense of family that deeply knew each other outside of shared activity. These few experiences made me who I am today, for better or worse, but really honestly, it was a lonely existence full of fears and misgivings. And with this loneliness came a lot of hiding and shame too. Some of this hiding and shame came at an early age. In my family, I remember we were always taught to eat what was on our plate. And I remember one time not liking the wild rice that was on the table. And I really like wild rice now, so that's fine. <laughs> but I quickly shoved it into my mouth. And then uh, as we were like done with dinner, I went to the bathroom and spit it out in the garbage can. And I just hid that for my parents to get away from the dinner table and onto my evening. I had an internal drive to please my parents and not disappoint them. As a kid, too, I would often seek the attention and approval of other people through my personality and actions. I would try to really be what other people wanted me to be. 
And I remember transitioning from being homeschooled in elementary school to a public school in fifth grade and having a bit of an identity crisis. I had been around my family and church most of the time and pretty accepted in those places. But once I got into a public school, I began to see the differences between me and the other kids. I was more into reading than video games and more into exploring the woods behind my house more than sports. Uh, none of these things are wrong and they're okay and fairly typical, but I really did those things because I wanted the approval of my classmates so that whatever they were into, I would learn about and try and fit in. It was really hard to find my own identity because it was constantly shifting, trying to be like other people and hiding my true self. I would hide my true self from others and not talk about the things I enjoyed, even though those things still formed me into who I am today. I did that because I thought others liked it, and I didn't want the dis disapproval of either my parents or friends, and was too ashamed to admit what I did like. An unfortunate side effect of my family upbringing was that godly, healthy sexuality was never talked about. When I was in middle school, I searched for that on the internet and sadly came across a lot of inappropriate images. I became addicted to those images and even in that began to develop a same-sex attraction. My shame, hiding, and loneliness were already in play and it really didn't help in this situation. And since my parents, especially my dad, didn't really talk to us about sex or sexuality and since we had a family culture of independence and isolation, I quickly decided to hide my sexuality and addiction from friends and family. I was already highly involved in a youth, church youth group too, and since that, I didn't want anybody to find out about my addiction or same-sex attraction, I hid and created the facade of a good Christian. I kept this cycle of shame, isolation, and hiding often until I was 17, when I heard a youth pastor named John preach from John 7:37 and 38, which says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Through this passage, God was telling me that all of my desires all of my loneliness could be fulfilled in a relationship with Jesus. I had never heard about Jesus talked about in that way, and I understood even though I grew up in the church. I knew deep down inside somehow that God loved me and knew me and always saw me, but I never really connected this view of God to Jesus and to my desires until I heard my youth pastor John preach from this verse. This moment really began my journey of faith. I wanted to know this Jesus and devote my life to him. I wanted to see how I could serve him and follow him above all else. My good Christian facade was beginning to crumble as I began to realize a new, growing, and true Christian faith. My faith journey would continue through my college years and beyond, but it was really rocked by a few major events which revealed a new identity and God's constant love for me. In college, my dad was diagnosed with liver cancer, and our family would battle through some of the most difficult times over the next four years. The event of my dad's diagnosis led me 
a lot deeper into the love of God. With my dad's diagnosis, I began what, to question what it could be like to be, not have my dad present in my life anymore. One summer, I moved here to Tacoma after my dad had a liver transplant, and the doctor said he would have 25 more years of life. Yet within a few months, the cancer had returned, and the doctor said he only had nine months to live. I remember having a conversation actually at the beach where my parents told us that dad's life was ending and giving us time to grieve in our own independent way. And I remember jumping into the waves um, and asking God, why are you doing this? What will it be like to live like to live life without my dad? Even though I didn't have a strong relationship with my dad, I still loved him and cared about him and was hoping for a better relationship. In February of 2013, my dad passed away. We were able to be with him as a family the last week of his life and see him pass into the arms of Jesus. This event of my dad's passing began a journey of discovery of identity for me. On the one hand, I was still wrestling with those questions of sexuality, and on the other hand, who am I without an earthly father? It was a really trying and vulnerable season. I had never really wrestled to reconcile my sexuality with my new faith in Jesus, nor had I thought through the implications of not having my dad present in my life. Right after my dad passed away, the community of faith in Tacoma came around me and cared to me and pointed me back to love of God as the Father. And that was a new thing for me, hearing about God loving me as a father. I remember a conversation with Abe and Randy where Abe actually told me, um, a good, he, Abe used to be a pastor here, Brian, you may have lost your father to death, but now you have two fathers in heaven. And it was a simple truth, but pretty impactful. Yeah, I had two fathers in heaven, but that means I've always had someone looking out for me from above. God has always been present as a father in my life, and I was just learning to see him as such. An identity as God's beloved was just being formed, and one of the verses that started standing out was actually Matthew 3.17, at Jesus' baptism that Randy talked about. It says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And I began to ask the question, beloved, was I loved like that too? The truths of Christ were beginning to sink in. If I was in Christ, then I was loved by the Father just like Jesus. I was God's beloved son too. year after my dad's passing, I actually got a tattoo of that verse uh, verse to commemorate the new identity. And God was beginning to draw me out of hiding as I began to share with other people um, my story and... um, began to accept that new identity. As I was shakily beginning to walk in this new identity, something unsettling happened. Um, The event happened when I was alone in a foreign country without access to community. I'd been there for a wedding where love was celebrated and I felt that I deserved something similar. I sought out the comfort of another man that I met and it was devastating on my conscience and made me question my own love for God. I remember the moments after the encounter and feeling the most shame I've ever felt. It weighed me down and brought me to tears. I was shocked at how quickly I could abandon the Father's love, which I was just beginning to understand. And on the plane back to the U.S., I prayed for God's forgiveness most of all and knew the need for repentance as soon as I arrived home. But it was in that moment sitting on the plane that I experienced one of the 
greatest moments of God's love for me. As I prayed for forgiveness, I saw an image of God as a father coming up behind me and enfolding his arms around me like a bear hug and speaking into my ear and reminding me of the sacrifice of Jesus, which brought me into this relationship. He showed me Jesus advocating for me even in my guilt and shame. It was this moment, this experience of love, which propelled me to begin the process of repentance through seeking counseling and community and sharing my story with others in pursuit of celibacy. I began to reconcile my sexuality with my faith through the love of God, whose consistent presence really did draw me to him. The Bible says it is God's kindness that leads to repentance, and I found that uniquely to be true. I have a few realizations a lot through this story and realizations that the love of God showed me what I was longing for in other people, and that I was really afraid, lonely, and in hiding. When I was in those moments of loneliness, fear, and hiding, I would often go to pornography or other men for satisfaction to try and cope with the internal longing to be seen and known. What I found in God's grace is the beauty of his love and the opportunity to be seen and known even in the midst of shame, loneliness, and hiding. Today I'm still single and foresee to be single and celibate for the rest of my life unless God decides otherwise. It can be a lonely existence, but a community rooted in God's love cuts through this loneliness and pain. I've been able to live with multiple families who have shown me what it means to be loved by God and be part of the family of God. I've learned, too, that being single and celibate means I don't get to experience the traditional family model of having a wife and kids. But I get to experience a different type of family that comes through deep friendships and unity among brothers and sisters in Christ. My role in the family of God is different than potential father and husband. I uniquely value and model the role of brother in the community of faith. I pursue intimacy in different ways than sex. And I get to be emotionally vulnerable with a ton of different people, and, and have to expose myself to potential rejection and pain. Even still, I can feel lonely at times and want to run away from the love that I've been shown. But then I'm reminded of God's love for me, and I can bear that rejection and pain and loss of intimacy that I could find in a spouse. Community has a special place of importance for me because it cuts through that pain and exposes my heart. Staying in intimate relationships takes away from the loneliness that I so often feel and it reveals God's constant love and presence to me. My sexuality, too, has been a pain point for many years. It's kept me in shame, hiding, and has rocked my faith at times. Shame so often triggers us to hide from others. And hiding keeps us from going deeper into the love of God. In my hiding, I would expect to share my story and be met with rejection and abandonment. This is the common story for those who wrestle with their sexuality and are on a journey to reconcile their faith. I think that no one would understand my experience, but when I began to share my story of sexuality and faith, I was oddly met with the opposite of what I expected. Instead of rejection and abandonment, I was often, almost always met with acceptance and love through friends and church leaders who've remained committed to me. I view this as a huge blessing from God and I'm able to more clearly see how God has shown his deep love for me through the love of his people. 
So I, I pray that you are encouraged by my story. I hope that you can experience this love of God through hardship, pain, and a community of faith that understands your suffering, just like me. I hope Jesus reveals himself to you and that the love of God as a father can fill the places that you think are empty. I pray that especially in loneliness and shame, there would be God's comforting presence and that he would take you into a bear hug, even if you feel like you don't deserve it. So I'm going to pray for us, and then Randy's going to come up and lead us into a time of um, prayer and communion. Father God, thank you so much for who you are as a good and loving father who's drawn me out um, into the deep waters of your love. You really want us all to experience the depth of your love. So I pray that as we go into this time, God, as we begin to look deep in our soul and deep at our past and our experiences and our own pain, that you would meet us there and that you would remind us of your comforting presence and of the sacrifice that you have made in Jesus to bring us into a deep relationship. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.